This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up later, Clark Stinks. That's where you get to hear the on-air version of people who disagree with me or disappointed by me or feel that I have given bad advice. Tell you a place with the most incredibly great, well-researched advice. Our main website, Clark.com. And if you like to save money as you buy stuff, check out ClarkDeals.com. So, what's the second most expensive purchase most of us ever make in our lives? It's the wheels that we drive. First, naturally, is housing. And for many people, a third of Americans, more than a third, rent. They don't own a home. So, your most expensive purchase you make is the vehicle that you drive. And vehicles depreciate very rapidly in the first few years. So you hear me talk about if you want to protect your finances, you buy a vehicle you can drive till the wheels fall off. Well, there are certain vehicles that stand the test of time, that are reliable enough that their buyers, the people who buy them originally as new vehicles, drive them and drive them and drive them. So there's a new list of vehicles that owners are likely to keep 15 years or longer when they buy them new. Now, this was from IC Cars. And get this. The Toyota Highlander is the vehicle that original owners keep the longest. Almost 20% of Toyota Highlander owners are keeping the vehicle more than 15 years. One in five keep it more than 15 years. That is beyond unbelievable. Now, when people tend to keep a vehicle a really, really long time, it's when the vehicle has been reliable, it's not costing a lot of repairs, and of the 15 vehicles on the list of the ones that people are most likely to keep the longest, 10 are from Toyota. Uh, following the Highlander, number two position is the Toyota Sienna minivan, Toyota Tacoma pickup, Toyota Tundra. It's a pickup truck, too. Um, or is it a Tacoma an SUV? I should know, but I don't. And fifth position, the Subaru Forester. Almost identical, the Toyota RAV4, with one in every seven people who buy one new, keeping it 15 years or longer. Honda Pilot's on the list, followed by the Honda CRV, 
and then the Toyota Prius, Toyota 4Runner, Honda Odyssey, Toyota Corolla, Toyota Camry, Honda Civic, Toyota Land Cruiser. It could be something also that's a self-selection, that people who tend to buy heavily Toyotas are people who, as the people in Detroit say, oh, Toyota buyers buy appliances. Um, You know, there are people who cars are just a practical way to get around, and that may be a factor. But the trend is clear that, that these are vehicles that over time, a significant percentage of buyers keep them on the road a long, long, long time. And doing so, the the loss in value of a vehicle, the depreciation curve, flattens after the first several years of ownership. And then after that, the value of the vehicle drops very little year after year after year. And it means that you're driving not truly for free, but at extremely low cost for every mile you drive. Uh, producer Joel buys used, nearly fully depreciated out vehicles. And you recently bought a 2005? Close, 2006. 2006 Honda Odyssey that was one that had had only one owner. Yeah, it was in amazing condition. So I just hate paying the depreciation. I hate knowing that every year that I'm losing thousands of dollars based on just owning the car. I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. So it's so funny because the original owner kept it 14 years and benefited mightily from holding a vehicle so long. And then you paid how much for a 2006 Honda Odyssey? Uh, $5,000. And had how many miles on it? One hundred and thirty. Four, I want to say, 134000 And it's behaving just fine? It's been great. I mean, that's the other thing. They, they took it to one mechanic. I was able to look at all the repair records, so it's one of those things where I was willing to pay kind of top dollar in the range of what it was top worth. Top dollar. <laughs> top dollar. Wait, wait. A new minivan at least is like $35,000. That's true, yeah. You paid six for this when you're calling it top dollar? <laughs> it, was in, it was just in such good condition, though. I, I'm saying for, for what it was worth for the value range of that of, and the age of the car, it was just worth exactly what I paid for it at least. And I, I have a feeling I'll be happy with this van for the next... You know, eight to ten years. So longtime listeners know that forever ago you bought a really, really, really old Nissan Altima. That's right. And you paid thirty four hundred dollars. Thirty two hundred bucks for that one. Thirty two hundred for it. Yep. And then drove it for how many years? Gosh, I drove that for almost eight years. Yeah. So that was a great car too. Four hundred bucks a year, even if it was worth nothing at the end. What'd you get right. for it at the end? Uh, I think I sold it for seventeen or eighteen hundred bucks at the end. So. No, you didn't. Yeah, something so like that. So it cost you fifteen hundred dollars for eight years yep. to own it? Yep. Okay, you're now listening to the Joel Larsgard show. I'm retiring. Come on around. Oh, please. You're doing the show. You got it nailed here. All right. Mary is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi, Mary. Hi, Clark. It's not every day I get to talk to a national treasure. Oh, well, you were sweet to say that. Thank you. And Joel really appreciates you saying that about him. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. So we have a couple of uh, cemetery plots that nobody in the family wants. Everybody's decided to get cremated when the time comes. 
And I've looked online. I see that there are plot broker services. People have them on oh, Craigslist. There oh. are ads in the local paper. And I'm wondering how to go about selling these things. The cemetery plot market is broken, broken, broken. And you stated up front why that uh, first factor is that cremations used to have virtually no market share in the United States. And on the West Coast now, it's above 70 percent. Wow. And nationwide, I'm trying to remember if it's 45 percent or something like that. And the number just keeps rising. And the cultural quotient, the number of people who still look at a funeral meaning a service followed by a proper burial is, I mean, it's just vanishing. Oh, boy. So every family in America that's had cemetery plots for a long time is in the same circumstance you are. And (laughs) the reality is generally you cannot even give them away. Oh, okay. So be very wary of any of these uh, services. I use that word uh, loosely. That say, hey, pay us to list with us, and we're the greatest at getting your cemetery plot sold. Because (sighs) I mean, there are there are sites charging upwards of five hundred dollars to list. A cemetery plot for sale. Like, what kind of money are you saying people wanting? Uh, oh, yeah, they're they want a couple of thousand dollars, which what? I think is what? ridiculous. Yes, what? well, it's in southern it's in southern California. And the other thing is, the cemetery itself to transfer the deed or whatever it is, that's about four hundred dollars. So I think you're right. We're just not going to be able to get rid of these things. Yeah, I I think they are as close to in this era unsellable as could be. Now, eventually. <laughs> With how scarce land is in Southern California, right? you may eventually get to a point where there's just not enough cemetery plots for the small percent of people who want to be buried. Uh. And there may come a time where cemetery plots will have market value. But particularly okay. with family plots where families may have bought, you know, 12, 20 spots, whatever, And nobody wants them. I know in my family that the two um, sides of my family, you know, the two sets of grandparents. Right. There are all these plots that nobody wants over what's now (laughs) four generations. It's like, forget it. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, then I will proceed from there, and uh, I sure appreciate your input. It, it gives me a lot to go on. And if you do list, like one thing people are doing is a fallback, is they will list cemetery plots on Craigslist. Right. The people that will call you will tend to be from these expensive listing services. who oh, will say, okay. oh, you know, that Craigslist thing is never going to get it done for you. But let me tell you, <laughs> we're just great at this. And if you pay us the 500 or or $1,000 or whatever, <laughs> we get them sold. The only thing they get sold sure. is the 500 or 1000 bucks they take from you. Okay, boy, got it. All right, I'm forewarned. Thank you so much, Clark. All right, best to you. And this goes to the core of something that I have recommended. And with the way people um, tend to migrate around the country and all that, I think about how scattered my family is. There's plenty of time to get a cemetery plot 
when the time comes. But buying one in advance or buying a big family plot is a disaster for your wallet because over time people's wants and desires and locations and circumstances will change and it's not a good thing to buy thinking you're providing a benefit to your family through the generations. You're just creating a problem for your family through the generations. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris. Hi, Clark. Um, first of all, we thoroughly admire you and your team for the things you do and the way you treat people. Um, Thank you. So the things that I have on my mind are that, um, you know, we've done a good job of saving and we've done, I think, a good job of getting our documents in place, our healthcare directives and wills and so on. And I know that if I called you and asked you for direction, you'd you tell me to get in touch with the Garrett financial planner or something. And I just hate that idea. I want to do it myself. And, and I looked on the Garrett website and, uh, there is a book by Cheryl Garrett, uh, that sort of, uh, I think helps her, uh, planners or the planners that are part of the Garrett network, um, guide their clients. And I've, I ordered one of those books off of eBay, but I thought you might have some suggestions. I love that. How much did you save by ordering it off eBay? Uh, I think it was a $5 book on eBay. I don't know what it was. (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't five. That is brilliant. I get so so excited when somebody will come up to me and ask me to sign one of my books, and they'll say, I got it at a flea market for 25 cents or whatever. I love that. So I got a a website I want you to know about to really, over time, amp up your knowledge about investing and feel like you have a lot of the tools you need to really think through in an organized, structured way how to build a solid financial future for you. There's a British guy named Jonathan Clements. You ever heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. Right. Um, So he has a nonprofit called HumbleDollar.com. Okay. And he does the most fantastic job with a financial guide for pretty much every facet of the finances in your life. Plus, he's got a newsletter that's free comes out every Saturday. And it's interesting. He's not trying to sell anything to anybody. He just wants people to have the knowledge to not get ripped off and make smart decisions with their investing. And then he's got a number of like-minded people who write columns for him that come out daily. And so if if you really want to take charge... And take the what you're doing is you're taking the totality of the knowledge that's shared there, because there'll be people who write different opinions on things, but you you pretty um I would say in ninety days you'll have a real sense about whether you're on the right path with how you're doing your finances or there are changes you need to make and ideas that you hadn't thought about that you should really incorporate 
and uh, how you handle your money and your future. Great. I'll give it a try. And if you really love what he does, there's a donate button to underwrite the cost of this free service. You can give him some money. If you don't want to, don't do that either. So your choice is there for the taking. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. In this case, producer Joel's going to ask your question for you. Yeah, Clark, Jeff's got a question. He says, my wife and I started a handy handyman business. Do I need to take credit cards? And if so, what, in your opinion, is the best route to go about accepting them? So there are several that you can use. I do think you should take credit cards because overwhelmingly that's what your potential customers are going to want you to do. And I think that using the Square app uh, is going to be the best way for you to do it. It's simple attachment to your cell phone. You pay 2.6% plus 10 cents per transaction for using it where you are able to swipe the person's credit card through the reader. And people don't seem to mind paying for home repairs or fix-it-up things when they're paying with a credit card, much more they seem to mind paying with actual real money. So I would take them. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Now, at Clark.com, we have a forum called Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. I think it's really important that you know through your heart and soul that what I'm about is providing information that you can use in your life to give you a better life, give you more choices, give you more financial control. That's what I do. But there are times I don't, that what you hear from me doesn't get the job done, or you feel like I've given somebody bad advice. And this is not a normal talk show where the... The host has to have the last word. This is where we all learn together. And that's why I value so much if you take the time to go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and post when I've upset you, annoyed you, or disappointed you. Now, weekly, our producer, normally Krista, goes through the posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you on the air. But today, we have the rare privilege of having... Executive producer, Kim. Hi, Clark. And so we get to hear Clark Stinks on the air with Kim. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. We'll try to be kind. No, no, that's not the point. All right. I listen to and I enjoy Clark regularly, but I believe that he overstates the benefits and purity of the missions of credit unions. First, they often have inactivity fees that are not typical of banks. Second, and more importantly, many have grown to be significantly larger than local community banks because they have been subsidized by taxpayers as they do not pay income taxes. Several credit unions also use members' funds to secure naming rights at sports stadiums and arenas. For example, a credit union, a credit union paid $100 million for the naming rights of the Sacramento Kings NBA arena. Harvey. Harvey, 
I think it is insane that credit unions are buying naming rights to entertainment venues and sports stadia and arenas and all that. It is also true what you said that there are credit unions. Not all credit unions are created equal. There are credit unions that are charging junk fees where they're doing their best imitation of being a bank. I've always loved community banks. There aren't that many anymore. But credit unions did grow a whole lot in the aftermath of the banking scandals of last decade, and some of them are quite large. Credit unions are not a monolith. They are a very diverse group of organizations, and I believe that credit unions generally offer a better deal to their members than banks do to their customers. Clark, you don't stink, but suggesting discount phone service plans like Visible sure does. You say that they use the same towers, that they give the same coverage as their parent company. Not true. Visible uses Verizon's towers, but only Verizon's tower. In low coverage area, Verizon provides coverage through a partner service, while Visible simply would have no service at all. This includes my wife's hometown in Wisconsin. My wife switched to Visible. I'm so lucky I'm still on Verizon. Otherwise, neither of us would have a working phone. Michael. Michael, thank you for that post. And you were one of many people who posted about the problems using Visible. If you visit rural areas or you go to visit a small town in a rural area, that you may not have service. And so... That is a very valid point pointed out, as I said, by many people. And I will make sure when I talk about Visible in the future that even though it is Verizon's discount service, that the coverage is not identical when you get out of midsize and large cities. Clark, you need to air out your frozen socks. A caller did not know about credit freezes and you told them to freeze their credit. The caller may not know what a credit lock is, and it should have been told to him to make sure the, it's a freeze and not a lock. I myself have been burned by leaving by you leaving out the details before. Ooh, Harry. Thank you, Harry. And I will be sure to mention that the credit bureaus will try to mislead you into doing the vastly inferior credit lock. Credit freeze and credit lock are both free. Credit Lock allows the credit unions to still build these huge dossiers on you. They sell over and over again with credit freeze. You shut them down and it helps protect your privacy to a degree. Clark, you talked about employers embracing flex hours for the last 10 years. This concept actually goes back at least 35 years to the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. Flex hours and other measures taken were widely seen as surprisingly a large success. Sorry to say you don't stink about that, but there's at least a little more to the story. Now, if you want to know what really does stink, it's that your podcast only has new episodes five days a week instead of seven. Maybe you could train a weekend Clark. Russell in Missouri. Weekend Clark. Who should that be? Who's he? Now bringing you could be a, a she too. Weekend Clark. Okay. Well, you know, the idea of having like an ensemble kind of podcast is something that that we have 
explored and talked about, and maybe that will happen. Clark, you were always saying that the bank credit union MasterCard doesn't have the same protection as a regular MasterCard. I believe this person is talking about debit cards. My credit union strongly disagrees with you. This is from their newsletter. Your credit union debit MasterCard protects your purchases in two ways. One, identity theft. Two, zero liability for any unauthorized charges. Bob. Bob, thank you. That is only a tiny part of the story, unfortunately, because one of the great protections you have with a credit card that does not exist with a debit card is if you were defrauded, not by somebody stealing your card, but by a merchant who cons you, or they go out of business and you haven't received your goods or services, or they just fail to deliver the goods or services. With a debit card, you have no rights. With a credit card, you have a very robust sets of rights to protect your money and get a credit to your account. Um, in addition, with a debit card, the money leaves your checking account that you're then trying to get back. With a credit card, if there's fraud, only charges post to your account. No money has actually left your hands. Dear Clark, you smell fine, but maybe try on some cologne now and then. A caller wondered about an extended warranty for his 2018 Honda Fit that had a fuel injection issue. You told him that the reliability was great according to Consumer Reports and that a warranty was not needed. However, I would recommend that he have his car looked at by multiple mechanics to make sure his car is actually in really good condition. Individual vehicles can be outliers to the majority statistic. Also, some dealerships will embellish the truth in order to scare you into fixing something that's not really broken. So alternative options can be valuable for this situation. Thank you, Clark, and your team for sharing your wealth of knowledge to the world. Fletcher. Fletcher, thank you. And Fletcher, on extended warranties or service contracts, I am actually neutral on vehicles. Not that the math is that much more compelling than it is with other extended warranties. The stakes are so much higher. You know, if you can't get to work without your vehicle and you can't afford to fix your vehicle, it can lead to a serious financial spiral. But it's one of those things that, for me, what tips the balance is the historical reliability of different makes and models, particularly the individual model and year. And yes, you're right. There could be in a vehicle that's been a very reliable model, you could have ended up with one that's not. But you can't uh, deal with every possibility and every eventuality in life. And so this is a matter of playing the odds. If you wanted to be extra cautious, you could follow your suggestion and have an inspection done of your vehicle, you said more than once, to make a call on whether buying a warranty would be appropriate or not. My husband and I recently looked into opening an online savings account, and per Clark Howard's recommendation, we browsed the highest interest accounts on bankrate.com. Bank X was the highest paying, and I nearly went through with filling out the application until I decided to do some digging first on the bank's reviews. They were terrible. People with credit scores greater than 750 were being denied after filling out an application with all of their sensitive information, including along with review after review of the bank's no customer service. 
It took me until I got to the banks offering 2% of interest or less to find one that actually had decent reviews. Haley. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I will tell you what I've gone on with the online banks over the years is that if you're just doing a savings account with an online bank, we basically never hear a complaint about one of them. You know, the complaints people have about banks concern loan servicing and checking accounts is most often where we'll hear problems. When I say loan servicing, that could be a mortgage, that could be an auto loan, that could be a credit card. The savings account, the simple savings accounts, have not been a general pain point that's ever crossed my radar. Clark, you always talk about annuities and how bad their surrender charges are, but you never talk about what happens if you buy and hold on to one. In that case, there's no surrender charges, and the payoff is over 10 years if you pick that option. With all bonuses paid, I am a happy customer. Dan. Dan, I'm really glad that an annuity has worked out for you. Uh, I only like two kinds of annuities, and one is an immediate payout annuity that acts like a pension, essentially, and the other is a longevity annuity or one that doesn't kick in till you're like age 80 or 85 to make sure you never run out of money if you are blessed with long life. The other annuity products are incredibly complicated, extremely expensive, have humongous commissions and fees. Plus, you mentioned appropriately that if you hold one long enough, the surrender charges I hate would not apply. But these are products that are so complex that the people selling them don't even know all the rules that come with them. So it would be hard to convince me that an annuity is, as a general piece of advice, would be a good thing for me to recommend that somebody own because they do come with so many gotchas. Again, except for an immediate payout annuity, a life annuity, or one that is a longevity annuity that deals with long life. I appreciate all your posts. Please, when there's something you feel that I've missed the mark on, go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, James. How you doing today, Clark? Great, thank you. You're trying to help out your daughter. What's the story? Okay, I've been listening to you for quite a few years. When she short as she turned 18 and went off to college, I put her on one of my credit cards that I've had for many, many years, you know, advice that you gave. Um, since then, she's hijacked my score, which she's really enjoying. Um, <laughs> yes. she, turned, she turns 21 next month. And I know you said something about when they turn 21 that they can't be on your card anymore or something. No, it's so not that. Question. It's that at 21, as a full-time college student, credit card companies are allowed to solicit her. But she's oh, allowed okay. already to go ahead and apply for a college student card. And there are several of them out there. Um, all the major issuers have college student card programs. So okay. uh, with those, they don't require normal income requirements. But the fact that she already has a great credit score, what does she have from hijacking your credit? Do you know what her number is? Uh, it balances between 780 and like eight. 
05, okay, 04. She's, she's in great shape, so she can apply oh, yeah. for any <laughs> of the college student cards. And so at her in her position, it's almost to pick them what she wants. Because the first okay. credit card that a college student tends to get, they often will keep for a decade or more. And so right. uh, whatever appeals to her... Are you or her a member, either of you a member of a credit union? I think I am from a card at least a few years ago, but I don't remember what it was or anything. Because a lot of credit unions offer really good cards to college students, but other than that, American Express has a college student program. Discover has a very popular college student card program. And again, the big issuers, I think without exception, offer a college student credit card program. And you know the program's okay if it has no application fee, no annual fee, and hopefully some kind of reward program. Okay, now she's she's doing college part-time and working part-time. I don't know okay, if that will Okay, that will affect her getting a college student card. But if she's working and okay. already has a high credit score, then she can apply for a card like anybody else. And she okay. should be able to get a card without too much heavy lifting. How much okay. income does she have on her job? Uh, I think she works about 20 to 30 hours a week. Oh, yeah. So she's got enough income to get a card. And with that okay. pre-existing great score, she should not have much trouble. Are you Costco or Sam's Club members? I am a Costco member, yes. I, again, because of you. So, you know, the Costco Visa card would be a great one for her to have because college students tend to eat out a lot, and she'd get 3% 3 cash back on every restaurant meal she does. If she likes to travel, she has 3% on that. If she uh, has her own car, she gets 4% cash back on the gasoline and then 1% cash back on everything else. Oh, and Costco, you get 2% cash back. So that has no We've annual fee. Back. Sorry? We've got a cash back. It's, it's one of the ones that you prefer. Oh, you have um, the city double have... cash or the Fidelity? Uh, um, I don't know. Can I say the name? Yeah, of sure. Them? Okay, it's Capital One. Oh, Capital One I've been cash with them back? since, I think, like early 2000s, like 2000, 2001. Yes. Uh, I've been with I them. Mean, why not? She can apply for that. Okay. So, I mean, you got lots of possibilities there. Right. Okay. Well, that uh, answers my question. And in her case, I would compare the cash back on the Capital One to the cash back on the Costco Visa card. Okay. And Definitely. make a decision that way. Okay, cool. So, it uh, sounds like uh, you've done a, her a huge favor with lending her your credit as an authorized user. And look how it can pay off. 780 for a credit score. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. 